Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. It's great to be with you. Um, and uh, if you have your leaflets there, open at that Bible reading, we're going to look at that together. I'm going to pray uh, so that we can ask for God's help to understand this. But um, I, I'm... I'm I'm wondering, has anybody heard this passage before, or bits of it? Yeah. So uh, this is not new, right? Well, let me close in prayer. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, the earlier service, um, uh, Dave mentioned that about uh, 30 years ago, I can't believe he did it 30 years ago. He's only about 32 years old. But about 30 years ago, he did the topical memory system. Topical memory system is a way of memorising different verses from the Bible, and that uh, Belinda and I actually um, were in a Bible study group, we did the topical memory system, and one of the verses is in the passage here this morning, um, in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, there's a better translation than what you've got in front of you, they are a new, new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. Um, there's another verse that we had to memorise, it's 2 Timothy 3.16, um, that verse says that all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful uh, for correction, for teaching, for rebuking and for training in righteousness. We're about to come to the word of God. This is scripture. And therefore, what we're going to look at together now is useful for us uh, for correction, for teaching, for rebuking and for training in righteousness. And so no matter where you sit on this and no matter how familiar you are with the passage that's right here, I know God's word will do this for you. It may be that you're going to be taught something. It may be that something you've thought will be corrected. It may actually be that you'll be rebuked because there's something that comes very clearly from this that you've not been doing. Or it may be that you're hearing something and you've heard it before and you'll hear it again and you need to keep hearing it because that's the nature of training, isn't it? That you just keep doing it and doing it until you get better and better at it. But one of those four, or maybe more, will work for you through this passage. I'm going to pray that we'll submit to God's word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word, uh, that it is breathed out by you, inspired by you. And I pray uh, that we will be taught that where we need to be rebuked, you'll do that. Where we need to be corrected so that we might stay with you, that'll happen. And that if we need training in this, please take this time now to train us. And I pray I won't get in the way of any of that with my words. Amen. I want to ask a question which I think the passage asks right there at verse 9. And it comes, uh, it's what controls you. You see, look at the beginning. Paul says we make it our goal. He's talking about his ministry team, those that are with him. But he's also talking about those who are in Christ, the church, those who believe and follow Jesus. Those who follow Jesus will want to make it their goal to please God. And I wonder what that means for you. And, and you in English is such a slippery word because when I just said you, you don't know whether I'm talking about you, plural, or you, singular. 
Of course, in Australian, we've got the word use. If only the New Testament was written in Australian, how much easier would it be, huh? I actually think that um, this is written in the plural. So as a church, brothers and sisters, what are you doing together to make sure that the goal of all you do is to please God? I think that's a question you need to keep asking over and over and over and over. Maybe that's the training you need to do. But don't drift from the goal. And the goal is, very clearly, in blue and white, I was going to say black and white, but it's obviously blue, our goal is to please him. So what controls you to do that? How do you reach the goal? Verses 14 and 15. Ah, oh, there's something else I'd like to point out in the passage. You've got it there in front of you. Have a look at this. Verse 9, so. Verse 11, since. Verse 16, so. And then in verse 20, it's not at the beginning, but therefore. You see those connections? Paul, in his argument, often does this, makes a point and goes, therefore, 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 therefore. Uh, the English translators get bored using the same word, so they mix it up. So, since, so, therefore. But there's a flow here. If our goal is to please God, therefore, or since. And he says, this is why it's our goal. Look at verse 11. This is why it's our goal. Because we know what it is to fear the Lord. We know there's a judgment coming. We know everybody's going to be held accountable for how they've lived their lives. We know everyone's going to be held accountable, not just for how they live, but whether or not they accepted Christ, Jesus, the Son of God. We know that's coming. That's why we want to persuade people to listen to Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus. So as a church, your goal to please God, are you persuading people? Do you do what you can to help them understand what will this look like tomorrow when you're back in normal? Will you be persuading people that Jesus is the Lord? I reckon the real test of my sermons is Wednesday. If, if what I say now is still running around in your head on Wednesday, uh, praise God. If I can make it to Wednesday, then that's great. You'll be ready for next week by then, so you'll be focusing ahead. But I wonder if you'll be asking yourself by Wednesday, what am I doing to persuade people? Do I really believe that they're going to stand before the judgment seat of God? Do I really believe that without Jesus, they face hell, an eternity without God? And is that making me live differently? Do, do things differently, work differently, speak differently. And then we get down to another therefore word, and it's in verse 14, and this is what I really want to focus in on. You see, he says, for Christ's love compels us. You see, it's not just because he fears what is ahead. No, 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 no. What drives him on? In fact, what drives us on is the love of Christ. It's not a fear-driven thing. It's a love-driven thing. And I was trying to work out, because 
you know, I preach just about a couple of times every week. And I know that when I'm taking people through passages, uh, they look down and then their minds sometimes drift to the shopping list or I wonder what's happening after church. I wonder how many bricks there are in the wall. All, all those profound things. Did I just catch you? Yeah. Uh, I, the Lord has blessed me with all sorts of things, but not a gripping voice. So uh, I, I know it's easy to drift off into la-la land, but come with me here. I want you not to miss this. He's persuaded because he knows what's ahead, but what drives him is not that. What drives him? To want people to know Jesus. What drives him to want to live an obedient life, to live according to the word of God. What drives him is the way that God has loved him. Now, um, this week has been a very unusual week for us. Um, but Belinda, I'm glad she's here this morning. I get to see her because I've been out so much this week. I, in fact, I was in New Zealand yesterday. We made a new bishop in a new church, which is very exciting. Um, and I was able to um, have lunch with... Some of the great ones, in fact, the Holy Trinity were there. It was um, Peter Jensen, Paul Barnett and Glenn Davies having lunch with me. Please don't tell them I said they're the Holy Trinity. And I was sitting there, they said, what are you preaching on tomorrow, Chris? And I said, ah, 2 Corinthians 5. Paul Barnett's written a commentary on this. So how did I feel? And then Peter Jensen says, yes, that's a tricky passage. And Glenn Davies says to me, so are you going with the subjective genitive or the objective genitive? You know how I felt? I'm glad I got a plane ride home to fix my sermon. So I said, quick, quick thinking, ask them. Well, what do you think? What do you think? What does it mean to be compelled by the love of Christ? And they, they are all my teachers. And they said, well, what would you say, Chris? <laughs> so I said, well, as I came in on the plane, they were showing all these videos and one of them was a shot of a hydro scheme that they've got in New Zealand somewhere. This massive lake and the water is forced into a pipe to turn the turbines to generate power. And then the water comes out of this pipe. Within, it, it just it sprays with incredible force. This massive lake into one tiny direction. One single direction with incredible power. I said, there's my, there's my illustration. There's my picture. Uh, Peter Jensen picked up the tomato sauce and took the lid off of the squeezy bottle and went, oh, like that. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the dam was better. And, but that's exactly the picture that's here. Paul is saying that I can go no other direction. When I take myself to the cross of Christ, where Jesus died, where he showed his love for me was so deep that he was willing to give up his life for Chris Edwards. That's what drives him. That gives him uh, a direct... He's compelled, he's constrained, uh, he's controlled by that. That's what drives him on. It's knowing the love of Jesus Christ. It's knowing about his death. And look what it says, verse 14. It compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. His death pays for my sin. His death gives me the benefit of everything he's done. Isn't that amazing? Many years ago, we were living in Adelaide, and um, I asked a good friend, it was our anniversary coming up, I said, where's a really good place to go uh, for a dinner? I want to take Belinda out for a really, really nice dinner. And my friend gave me the name of a restaurant. I booked it, and I went along. 
And um, when we went in and sat down, it was really nice. It's on the River Torrens, beautiful water views, the city, the sunset, the lights, stunning. They brought the menus, fantastic food. <laughs> I saw the prices on the <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, you, don't want an, you don't want an entree, do you, Belinda? And, and I don't think I could fit a dessert in. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think I should just drink water. Just the water. Um, and, um, but I thought, then, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Why, why don't you have a special night? So we, we probably ordered, I probably ordered, I didn't go for broke, I can tell you, but we, we had more than I normally would. Then I went up to pay at the end, and the man said, uh, are you Chris Edwards? I'm like, uh, yes. He said, don't worry, it's all paid for. The whole lot. My friend had come along and paid for anything and everything. And you know what the guy said? He said, I'm surprised you didn't order more, because he said whatever they order, they can have. <laughs> if only I had known! Do you realise that Jesus Christ has paid for you? Do you realise what you can have in this life? Do you realise what he'll do with you? He's paid it all. Don't hold back. Go for it. When you're having conversations with people, when you're persuading them, do not fear. He has paid. When you commit sin and you realise it's wrong, do not fear. He has paid. It is covered. Absolutely. How often do we hold back because we think, oh, no, I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't have that. I don't think I'm capable. I don't think I can cope. Jesus has paid. You can have whatever you like and do whatever you like in his will. You've got it. Forgiveness, blessing, new life. In fact, that's what we go on to. There are two deaths in verse 14. It's Jesus' death and it's your death if you're in him. This is what happens Jesus died on the cross. Those who believe in him are taken into that death. One of the most common expressions in Paul's writings are two little Greek words. I'll tell you what they are. Here's a Greek lesson. You ready? You can be experts tomorrow. In Christo. In Christ. Not very complicated, really, is it? In Christ. When we believe in him, when we trust in him, we are in him. And that's why the Bible uses illustrations like marriage to become one. Because the church is the bride of Christ, married to him, one with him. That's why Christianity speaks of God as Father. Jesus taught us to pray to our Father who is in heaven. Remember that prayer? Why Father? Because we're in his family. Why are we in his family? Because we're in his Son. When God looks on us, he sees us as related to his son, as equal with his son, co-heirs with his son. We are one with him. There are two deaths. He dies, so I die with him. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. But you know what? Death is final. So I want you to understand what happens when you say, yes, I want to be in this. Death is final. Death is the end. Jesus died for all. And so all have died. All in Christ have died Christ's death. That's really profound. But here's the thing. You cannot live like death has not happened. 
A few years ago, my dad died. Um, in the days leading up to his death, we were there every day. We, I shaved him. Um, we washed his clothes. We took him food. Um, we were there every single day, all day. After he died, we didn't go to the hospital anymore. Didn't wash his clothes, didn't have to do anything. You cannot live like death hasn't happened. You cannot live like death hasn't happened. If you're in Christ, you've died with him. And you cannot live like that death has not happened. So what do we do? How do we change? Well, Paul goes on and he tells us. The first thing you need to know is in verse 15. If he's been raised, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be raised. If he's been raised, you will have new life. And when Dad was in his last days, a friend from his Bible study group came to visit him. It was obvious Dad didn't have long to go. And so he said, Alan, won't it be great you know, when, we, when we're in heaven and you can see Jack and Bob and Dulcie and Edna and all the people from their Bible study group that had died. My dad smiled and we prayed and he left. And my dad turned to me and he said, you know what, Chris? When I'm in heaven and it's me and Jesus, I'll be blowed if I'm looking for anyone from Layla Park. <laughs> and what hit me was the reality, the reality, the hope, the certainty of the hope that he has of this promise that if you're in Christ, your death is in Christ and your life is in Christ. And what happened to him will happen to us. As he is raised, we will be raised. And that certainty is a promise that is repeated time and time again in the New Testament. It's a great promise. You see, Paul's goal is to please God. He wants to persuade people of life in Christ. He wants to assure you that the death you deserve has been taken care of by Jesus. And you are now free to live, compelled to live in the love of Christ, which will make you obedient to him. And your, your hope is not in this world, but in the world to come. Your real hope is in heaven with him, where he is seated right now. He will come back for us. But there's more than that. You are a new person, verse 17. If you're in Christ, the old is gone and the new is here. You are new. The wonderful thing this morning we're going to do is we're going to celebrate that with baptism. Uh, baptism uh, is, a, is a great symbol. It's a great word. It's an ancient word. It used to mean to be overwhelmed. It also meant to be cleansed so that you would so overwhelm something that it would be clean and able to be used again. The Jewish people, particularly the community around the scenes, they, they would baptise everything. They baptised their cutlery. They baptised their furniture. They baptised their clothes all the time because they kept getting dirty again. When the Christians adopted the symbol of baptism, they said you only need to do it once because that one cleaning of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover you for forever. That's why we baptise once. But baptism also means to be overwhelmed. If I was to go out and stand on Victoria Road and a B-double came down at me and I just stood there like this, I would be baptised by the semi-trailer. That's what baptism is. It's to be overwhelmed. We're going to overwhelm them. Um, 
They're not here, are they, the children? Um, Ash is here. He's going to give... I, I like to hold them down for a while to get to understand this. <laughs> You'll be safe, Ash. Don't worry. But we are new. We are washed. We've died with Christ. We're joined with him. Verse 20. Therefore, we're Christ's ambassadors. Therefore, we represent him. We speak on his behalf. What we say needs to be what he says. We lived in Belgium for a few years and um, the European Union is there. There are a lot of ambassadors living in Brussels, as you can imagine. And often because I was the Anglican minister, uh, I'd be invited along to these soirees with all the hoi polloi and ambassadors. And I remember chatting uh, one night to the English, the British, the English ambassador um, to the European Union. And I said, what, what is your job like? And he, oh, very, very privileged, all this sort of stuff. And I said, but can you say whatever you like? It's like I just stomped on his foot. Absolutely not. He said, I, I need to be very careful to only speak with the authority of the crown. So I would never say anything that wasn't in line with the wishes of the crown. And I said, thank you, you've just given me a sermon illustration I'm going to milk for the rest of my life because we are the ambassadors of Christ. We should say nothing that isn't authorised by him. We should live in no way that isn't uh, approved by him, which is why it's so important in the church today that we live according to his word, which is revealed to us in the Bible, that we obey his will as revealed to us by the Holy Spirit when we come to understand what's in the Bible and no other. There are those in the church, brothers and sisters, who would lead us astray from that. There are bishops in our country who do not believe that. And you might have heard, if you read the Sydney Morning Herald, um, that that's caused some tensions this week in the Australian Anglican Church. But I assure you of this, we believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And we believe that his word is inspired. It is useful for training, rebuking, correcting, for teaching. We believe that the goal is to please God. And the best way to do that is to understand his love and be driven by that to persuade others to know him too. And that's what we'll keep doing. Will you, plural, will you, singular, If you don't know Jesus like that, that you're one with him, please listen to the rest of the service this morning as you go outside and listen to the testimonies, to to witness that celebration of baptism. And then don't go home without speaking to Dave or, or Andrew or someone on the team here to find out more. Because it's one thing to live by rules. It's another thing to live for the ruler. Christians don't live by rules. We live for him, the King of Kings. Amen.